name's Nick Sawyer, and welcome to the Swap Podcast, where we exchange news and views on the latest trends in derivatives and finance. It can't have escaped anyone's notice that the crypto assets market has had a pretty torrid time in recent months. The value of cryptocurrencies has fallen sharply, with Bitcoin dropping from close to $70,000 in November to below $20,000 in June. Overall, the total market capitalization of cryptocurrencies is now below $1 trillion, having been at more than $3 trillion at the end of last year. The rapid contraction of the market has resulted in several casualties. So-called algorithmic stablecoins Terra and Luna collapsed in May, while Celsius, a major crypto lender, recently froze all withdrawals. As this shakeout of the industry continues, the question is what impact this is having on the crypto derivatives market and whether this affects the outlook for the asset class as a whole. To discuss that, I'm here with ISDA CEO Scott O'Malia. And Scott, it's been a tricky few weeks for the crypto industry. Yes, it has. As you mentioned, the total market cap has dropped significantly over the past six months. A move of this size is undoubtedly going to uh, hurt. And we've seen several platforms struggle as a result. I've also seen my 401k struggle, Uh, but I am keen to get the perspectives of those who are most active in the market to see what this really means. As we've been discussed in previous episodes, there's been an influx of institutional investors into this asset class, many of which are using derivatives to get exposure. I'd like to find out more if there's any change in institutional demand and also whether this kind of volatility strengthens a case for specific contractual standards for the OTC crypto derivative market. Well, we have two great guests with us today who will be able to give us a perspective on these issues. Pervy Mania is Deputy General Counsel of Falcon X, a digital assets platform for institutional investors. And Nicola White is Chief Executive of B2C2 USA, a cryptocurrency liquidity provider. Both Pervy and Nicola took up their respective roles last year, having previously worked in traditional finance, most recently at HSBC and Citadel Securities, respectively. Scott, I'm sure you'll have no shortage of questions, so let's get straight to it. Nicola, Pervy, welcome to The Swap. Thank you very much for joining us today. I'd like to start by asking you about the recent turbulence in the crypto markets. What impact has the volatility had, and how do you think the uh, turmoil will play out And what does it mean for this asset class? Nick, let's start with you. Thanks, Scott, for having us. The shakeout over the last few weeks has definitely hindered the sentiment for crypto, we think, in the short term. However, we're encouraged by the industry coming together to find creative solutions for some of the credit exposures and losses that have occurred. The one thing that I do think that these recent events highlight is the need to apply traditional finance concepts and tried and tested procedures around market risk and credit management to the space. And a key item surrounding that is contractual standards. So that when another event like this happens, the market knows how to handle it, what the implications are. And that's one of the reasons why we're so excited to work with ISDA towards that goal. Terrific. Pervy? Thanks, Scott, for having me today. And yeah, certainly the recent market volatility has created a very interesting dialogue, I think, between the participants in this industry, both the crypto-native participants as well as traditional financial institutions that have entered this space. And to Nicola's point about, you know, really leveraging existing traditional financial standards for market and credit risk, that's obviously shown to be quite useful in this space as well. And it's done a nice job of demonstrating how maybe this asset class doesn't operate that dissimilarly than the other asset classes, which I think in the long term is really going to be very helpful to driving institutional adoption in this space. 
certainly contractual protections are at the forefront of everybody's mind right now. And I think it'll be quite interesting to see how they are actually assessed in any kind of litigation or insolvency proceedings that we might see. I certainly never thought entering this industry that I would think about AET and crypto in the same thoughts, but especially on the OTC side, it's really great to have those protections that ISDA has already developed and has seen tried and tested and true in traditional financial markets. So we're, we're similarly very encouraged about you know, the growth of this industry and, and where recent market events are going to take it. You mentioned we are seeing growth in institutional participation, which has driven the development of the crypto derivative markets. How much interest have you seen from the individual investors, you know, being a little more specific if you could, and how do their requirements differ from the retail clients? And finally, has institutional activity remained strong even during this most recent volatile period? We're certainly seeing continued interest from institutional investors. And I think one of the changes that has occurred due to recent events is we're really seeing a lot of focus on risk management, of course. And we're seeing an interest in traditional financial institutions being able to operate from an operational and uh, risk management perspective, similarly to how they operate in traditional financial markets. And I think it's quite important from that perspective to be able to continue to offer products and services in that space. And that's a big part of the dialogue that we have, which is that we're meeting customers where they are. We're not asking them to reset from an operational or contractual perspective, and particularly when it comes to, you know, building out risk management and tech. We're really seeing a continued interest in institutional investors and growing in that way. We're also seeing a lot of interest in structured solutions, particularly with market events. We're seeing clients identifying opportunities and specific strategies that they'd like to pursue, and we're seeing them come to us and asking for help in structuring those solutions to make that possible for them. What about your perspective, Nicola? Yeah, I mean, similar to what Pervy and the team over at Falcon X are seeing at B2C2, we're definitely continuing to see increased demand on the traditional finance side. And you're right, the requirements are significantly different than what we see from the retail space. And our clients are looking for changes in three areas. They're looking for certainty of execution and settlement. It's one of those things where if you can get the coins into your wallet, you no longer have credit risk to your counterpart. So it's not only about, can I trade with my liquidity provider, but can I get quick settlement with my liquidity provider? The other thing is price transparency. So they want to know where those trades are going to execute at. And I think it's our job as liquidity providers to provide them with that. And then the last thing is to transfer large risk seamlessly. So from that point of view, similar to some of the concepts you see in traditional finance, like TCA, making sure that you're not having adverse market moves become very, very important. And I think it's the reason why you've seen the space switch from a primarily retail-driven space that is on exchange to an institutional space that wants to trade OTC. And as more and more institutions enter the space, I think you're going to see that continue similar to what you saw in the FX space. Now, both FalconX and B2C2 recently joined ISDA, along with a number of other crypto firms. What drove your decision to join? Let's go with Nicola first. Sure, yeah. For us, it was really to help drive the institutionalization of the industry. We had traditional finance clients who were coming to us to get exposure to the space through derivatives because they weren't yet ready to integrate to the blockchain. And we were looking for a contractual solution, but there wasn't an industry standard. So in 2018, we created our first lookalike ISDA. But as interest increased and we were spending more time on legal documentation, there wasn't a standard in the market for what people thought an airdrop looked like or what a fork looked like. 
we realized that we needed to spend less time on legal documentation and others probably wanted to as well. And so we reached out to ISDA in the second half of last year because for many of us at the firm, we came from traditional finance. So we knew the power that ISDA brought to the space and the streamlined process they could provide. Pervy, you've been a derivatives lawyer, similar kind of experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think from my prior experience, as well as the experience of many others at FalconX, we know the value that ISDA brings in terms of industry collaboration and coordination in the OTC space. And I think that's particularly important for this asset class, right? Institutional investors, they want to see that the docs, the contractual framework, the operational processes that they've been vetted and the ISDA working groups in the space really provide a great clearinghouse for that to happen, where you're seeing the buy side and the sell side come together, provide their opinions, and you're seeing that vetting process that leads to standardization occur, which is tremendously important for adoption in this space. You mentioned the Digital Asset Legal Working Group, which is our forum for bringing everybody together. First of all, this is a massive size working group. There's a lot of people, I think, probably listening to figure out more about the product and what we're working on. But we're kind of tackling a handful of very specific terms. I think you mentioned a couple of them. You know, what are airdrops? How do we deal with forks in the code? Any perspective on how you think that's going and the progress that can be made? And then maybe what's next? What do you guys think we should take this in terms of additional definitions that would be useful for the industry to get their arms around? Pervy, why don't we continue with you? Sure. I think the working group that is the Digital Assets Working Group is such a lively forum, and it is really a great clearinghouse for opinions from everybody, from those of us who are already in this industry, from those participants who are looking in at this point and assessing whether or not it's the right time for them to enter. And of course, from you know external law firms that are looking at this from a very academic perspective as well. So I think what we're seeing is a really nice balance between what is legally sound and what's commercially viable. And that's what we're seeing play out in the preferences of the working group, which is really important, again, for this industry to continue to grow and for this space to continue to grow. I think one of the best parts about the working group is that although they have you know, a specific mandate that they're looking to pursue and specific points that they're looking to address, they're very open to thinking about different issues that are coming up as a conversation occurs. And that's really important, particularly for us on the product development side, because you know, while NDFs and options are certainly an important part of what we're working on, we're increasingly seeing this interest in structured solutions. So making sure that our contractual standards are able to address some of those more structured products and knowing that the industry working group is working through that as well at the same time in live time is very, very important. And it's, it's a great forum. Nicola, I'd like to ask you the next one. As we provide legal certainty and clarity in these times of stress, one of the most important functions is that standard that Pervy just mentioned. What is your consensus right now on how things are going to address these disruptions? I don't think there's consensus yet. I think we're getting there and we've definitely seen those lively discussions on the working group. But it's really going to come down to working through some of the edge cases around these events. Not every airdrop or fork looks the same, and it's up to the group to ensure that the definitions work not only for 90% of the cases, but for those 10% edge cases that are maybe slightly more complicated. And so I would say, you know, we're probably there or close to being there on the 90%, and we're just really working through those 10% that are really going to matter going forward. Time is ticking. I mean, how soon do we need to get all this done? It's not certainly stop the market from trading, but how much more effective could we be if we... uh if we got some of these settled? I think a lot more effective. 
we're negotiating documents every day with customers and those documents are going to be documents that we're going to have to repaper when there's an industry solution. And so, you know, for us, we would like to see them sooner rather than later. And we'd agree that we also want to see the product set expand so that we can apply those definitions more broadly to structured products or physically settled options. The market's moving there very quickly because the one thing that you've seen is traditional finance firms move over to the derivative space because there is that regulatory uncertainty in the spot crypto space, especially here in the U.S. We're focusing on cash settled. How soon do we have to get kind of focused on the physically settled stuff? In terms of institutional investors, banks are going to struggle given the capital charge to hold this stuff. How do we need to think about the work that we're doing relating to spot market cash settled versus physically settled? There is certainly growing interest in the physically settled market as well, even on the the derivative side, right? We are seeing very important use cases for our clients where they come in and physically settled is an important part of the structure that we're looking to create for them. So it will definitely be important to address that. And I certainly value the work that the ISDA working group is doing in terms of even defining appropriate rate sources, right, for settlement rate sources. I think that's very, very important to creating the necessary standardization in this space that's going to be important for the, the space to grow, I think also one of the really important things in this space is that in terms of timeline of getting these things done is that certainly the contractual standards that we're looking at right now are very important. But the next piece of this is, of course, addressing the regulatory standards in the U.S. as well that, you know, particularly for us as a swap dealer, we're very keen on making sure that we can comply with, of course, and that we can incorporate into our docs. And I know the work that ISDA has done in traditional financial assets on that side, and we're very much looking forward to continuing that work with ISDA on the crypto side as well. There has been a very active debate on how crypto assets should be regulated. Every week, there's another story, potentially new legislation in the U.S., which has been quite busy lately. And it certainly seems that there's more interest or at least some consensus around developing clarity on that future oversight model, although the difference between the CFTC and the SEC, for example, just one jurisdiction is still up in the air. How does this impact your business and what kind of regulatory framework would you like to see? Let's start with Nicola here. Upfront, we'd love to see more regulatory clarity, not only in the U.S., but also globally. The uncertain environment that we're operating in right now means that some of the largest players are going to sit on the sidelines until we have that clarity. Or worse yet, they're going to end up outside of the U.S. You're going to see people move to different jurisdictions. But having said that, we were encouraged by the Lummis-Gillibrand bill that came out a few weeks ago. It was probably one of the more thoughtful things we've seen out of the Hill in a long time. And we think it's an important step to allow companies in the U.S. to continue to foster innovation while ensuring the necessary structure and protection is provided to consumers. And over the last couple of months, you've seen some instances, especially around Terra Luna, where you want to make sure that no customers get impacted by something like that and that the protection exists such that when you're talking about a stable coin, there's an implied sense of security around that, which you know wasn't available with that coin. Nicola, can I follow up on that? The Terra Luna situation was a complete disaster. They're algorithmic stablecoins, so they're you know let's just let's call them algorithmic coins relationship versus a stablecoin that's asset backed. Do you think there's a window here that that most people could agree that stablecoins ought to be what it says on the tin and not some software solution that completely pancaked itself? Yeah, I think definitely saying when you're talking about a stablecoin, it has to be 100% backed by cash or cash-like securities. 
is something that we were very excited to see in the bill. The other thing that it brought in that we need to dive into a little bit more is this concept of FDIC insurance and how that would play into the space. But, you know, excited to see that people are being thoughtful about it. And we agree. One of the reasons why we didn't trade Terra was that it was an algorithmic stablecoin. And we want to make sure going forward that the market overall is protected by maybe some of this people throwing terms around that they imply something that it really is not. Now, Pervy, you mentioned you're a registered swap dealer with a lovely CFTC, which is uh, near and dear to my heart, but I'm not getting in the fight between SEC and CFTC at this point. But what is your perspective on regulation? We're certainly encouraged to see that the U.S. regulators are taking an informed approach, that they're taking their time to research and understand this space. I mean, particularly the takeaways from the presidential executive order are very encouraging for our industry, right? That it is trending in the direction of being principles-based and also trending in the direction of being an informed space. We're certainly seeing a really great opportunity right now for regulatory advocacy and engagement from firms like ours, which I think is going to be important to see how this shapes out. And we're certainly keen on sticking with the principles-based framework. I think with recent market events, it'll be interesting to see if there's a shift in how the U.S. regulators are looking at things just from the point of Nicola's earlier point about Terra and Luna, and is there something there that could have prevented something like that that already exists? If you think about kind of the models process and the algo processes that already exist with respect to how those are reviewed and vetted, could something like that have been applied in this space and had been useful? And I think we'll certainly see much more of a focus on some of like the UCC type principles as well, as we see some of the liquidations in this space be scrutinized from a litigation perspective. We obviously spoke a little bit about the U.S. What's the outlook in the rest of the regulatory space, whether in Europe or in Asia? Nicola, how do you follow the markets? We're constantly reevaluating different jurisdictions. The space is moving so quickly. So we have a whole team that's focused on making sure we're staying upfront with how things are developing. And so, look, we're really going to wait and see. We want to make sure that we can continue to service our clients globally and whatever regulations or licenses that means we need to get, we're going to be there and hopefully at the front pushing regulation forward because we think it's so pivotal to the success of this industry. Let's move to the kind of the technology. You've both been in traditional finance for many, many years. How do you think blockchain technology can be used to bring greater efficiency to the wholesale market structure? We've talked a lot about standards and legal documentation and definitions, which have really worked well, but there's probably some upside to some operational changes that could be achieved. How is blockchain going to solve that? Or do you believe it's the right answer for some of the stuff? Start with you, Nicola. Yeah, one of the biggest immediate efficiencies the blockchain can impart is time to settlement. Right? It's crazy that in today's environment and with the technology available that many asset classes still settle T plus two. You have that credit risk T plus two, and it's really four or five days if it happens over a weekend or a holiday. And blockchain technology enables a more real-time settlement. So I know I spoke before about how, you know, for us, it's not only the trading side of things that matters, but also the settlement side. And it's something that we're always laser focused on. We settle 70% of our settlement requests within 15 minutes and 99% within 45 minutes. And that includes weekends. So we have the technical capabilities to bring those timelines in significantly. And it's become a real differentiator for us with our client base and something we'd love to see extended to traditional finance. 
Pervy, as you guys made the case earlier, more institutions are coming in. Clearly, the two-day settlement is not you know, something they're looking for if they're going to be on chain and settling within 15 minutes or 45 minutes. What are they telling you? I think that's absolutely right, right? I think that having faster, secure settlement that has transparency around it is going to be a game changer for this industry specifically. I think it's a nice differentiator for crypto, right? Which I think makes the thought process for traditional institutional investors around risk management and to Nicola's point around credit and settlement risk here a little bit different, which is a nice benefit, certainly. I think what we're seeing is also the value of the transparency here really playing out in terms of what wholesale market structure should look like in this space. And we're having discussions now around what that should look like. And the technology is a big part of the discussion to say, okay, well, this is what it looks like in FX, for example, but should it look a little bit different here because of the value that we can bring with respect to just the technology that can come to the table to play a big part in invisibility and transparency in the market and creating making the market more efficient. Now, there's a lot of efficiency to be gained, but every time I try to sign on and kind of work through this, there's wallets I have to set up, there's bridges that are getting hacked left, right, and center. This is not necessarily the best user interface that I've ever seen. So when's that going to get cleaned up? Certainly a big part of being in the industry is the educational component, working with, you know, the operational teams for our clients to help them understand kind of what the settlement process and the transfers process looks like ahead of time. And I think that that knowledge will continue to spread for sure. We're definitely seeing now operational professionals at companies that are not us, right? Obviously, like on the client side, coming to the table with that knowledge as well. And I think we'll just continue to see that spread definitely. There certainly is a learning curve from that perspective. But I think much in the same way that traditional financial assets have their own platforms for settlement and clearing, like for DTCC, for example, or CLS, you'll see that same type of development on this side, which I think will lead to some standardization and a little bit of less operational pain around this space. Nicola, anything to add to that? We've seen a lot of conversation around the DeFi space. Is it safe? You know, there's definitely been some hacks this year. And we think that it's important that in on the CFI side of things, we're really thinking through, you know, why is everybody going over to DeFi? What are they looking for? And can we get them that exposure in a structured way? Earlier this year, we worked with our regulators in Japan to offer a dual currency instrument for yield pickup, right? That's a way that you can do yield pickup in a centralized space where you know who your credit risk is to. You have KYC and AML standards set up. So that's what I think it's our job to do as liquidity providers in the space is really offer those exposures, but in a more centralized space until the DeFi space is ready. Okay, so wrapping it all up, let's sort out legal docs. Let's make sure we get a better user experience. The evolution of these markets continues. Where are we going to be in terms of asset class development in the next two years? And where do you guys see kind of the both the challenges and the opportunities? Pervy? Certainly, I think we'll see standardization of tenors and settlement sources leading to growth in this space. I think that will be very important for this industry, and we certainly expect to see that. I think we'll continue to see interest in structured solutions as well, because there is a lot of opportunity in this space, and I don't think that is something that is lost on investors. They're coming to us with interesting ideas and looking for us to structure that. I think we're going to continue to see that, and that's part of what makes working in this space so interesting and part of what makes having the framework of ISDA so helpful, right? That it is something that is very much modular, where you can pull the pieces that you need to put together a contract that makes sense for this space. 
And you continue to see a lot of excitement, right? I think it's a great space for people to enter, whether you're a traditional financial executive with many, many years of experience or you're somebody relatively newer to the industry. It is a space that's very welcoming to different ideas and different thoughts and different perspectives. And I think that's part of what makes the space such a great space to work in. Nicola, where are we going to be in two years? Yeah, I mean, similar thoughts. We're definitely going to see, you know, the continuation of widespread adoption of cryptocurrencies and blockchain technologies. And I think one of the things that I'm really excited to see is the traditional finance space and the crypto space come together. One of the things that's being talked out there is how do we transform traditional financial products, get people exposure to U.S. equities, tokenized debt to make it easier to transfer. So those are some of the things that we're really focused on over the next couple of years and excited, along with continuing to partner with our clients on solutions in the derivative space and the crypto space. Fantastic. Now, I'd like to finish the podcast finding out a little bit more about the guests at a personal level. You both came from the world of traditional finance before switching over to Falcon X and B2C2. The move from banking and trading to crypto has become a well-trodden path. And thankfully, most of them are sitting around the working group table as well, having that conversation. But what is it that made you take the switch and go to the other side, so to speak? Nicola? Yeah. So for me, it was the ability to work in a really dynamic, innovative space. Having spent my career in rates, there was a time where, you know, after the credit crisis, you saw rates innovate and move more to electronic trading. But, you know, it really had slowed down in the last couple of years. So really being able to switch to a space that was figuring out how do we take cutting edge technology and apply it and make sure that we're improving liquidity provision in the space was really, really important to me. And then couple that with being able to walk into a workplace every day and getting to brainstorm with clients about new solutions or colleagues about market structure changes, new products we wanted to offer was just very, very interesting. And I love, you know, coming into work and figuring out what I'm going to learn each and every day. Pervy? I would echo much the same where it's clearly a dynamic and an evolving space. And it's an exciting space, particularly to operate in as a lawyer. You see so many questions of first impression that you don't see in too many other spaces. So it's a nice way to be able to take what I do know from my background in traditional financial derivatives and then pair that with what I'm learning about the crypto industry every day. And so it it is a fun space to practice in from that perspective. I think it's also a really nice space to be able to share your perspective in. I think it's a space that really allows you to work outside of like the specific confines of what your role or responsibility is, which is, I think, a great learning and growth opportunity for anybody who comes over this way. How about gender diversity? Is it any better in crypto than it is in TradFi? I I would say it's certainly growing much faster than TradFi. So certainly the opportunity to make it uh, much more balanced exists much quicker than it does, I think, in TradFi for sure. Nicola? Yeah, agreed. When I started my career, I was the only woman on the trading desk. So going from that to, you know, almost, I would say, just shy of 50% of our workforce in the U.S., our female is something that I'm very encouraged by, but, you know, also something we need to make sure that we don't drop the ball on, right? I know that crypto is this new world and it's a different generation that has really led the growth of this space until now. We have to make sure that we're cultivating that generation and we're giving them the space to grow so that our next level of leaders have that more gender diversity. This has really been a great conversation. I really appreciate the insight you both provided today. Best of luck to both of you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Scott. Okay. We heard from two people right in the thick of things about the impact of the current volatility. But 
Despite the current environment, or possibly because of it, both Nicola and Pervy remain committed to the development of robust contractual standards. Scott, you did talk a little bit about this, but can you just provide an update on where we are with that? Of course. We think that the recent volatility makes it even more important that we have a robust set of contractual standards for OTC crypto derivatives markets. So we're pushing forward with that work. I think we've made very good progress. Probably most significantly, we've convened the right people around the table to develop and think about all of these questions. And you heard that in the conversation, identifying the edge events and figuring out how we solve for those things to address it in any contractual standard. And we're on track to launch a contractual framework that includes cash settled forwards and options referencing Bitcoin and Ether by the end of this year. We'll then move on to other products, depending on the priorities of our membership, For example, we understand some crypto native firms are putting in place collateral agreements using crypto. So that sounds like something we could address. There's also probably counterparty documentation that we could also look at. And we'll have to unpack probably additional definitional examples. But uh, I think we have the right people around the table to solve that. Great. I should add that there are lots of handy resources on this topic on the ISDA website, including a white paper on the development of crypto standards and another on the changes that are needed to the accounting framework for digital assets. So check them out if you want to find out more about these issues. Scott, thanks a lot for joining me again today for what's been a really interesting and timely episode. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to The Swap. Keep in touch with ISDA via our website, www.isda.org, and our social media channels. See you next time. 